All right, before we jump into our sermon passage and then the sermon, the way we start on Sundays uh, is we start with our young ones, we start with our kids, let you know, kids, what is this passage about and then what the sermon is going to be about, okay? So, if I say the word to you, if I say riddle, riddle me this, what do you think we're talking about today? Ooh, parables, yes, good, y'all, that is a big deal. It's a really big deal that you get that parables are riddles, so that's awesome. Okay, here we go. Oh, wait, not ready. Okay, uh, I've got some riddles here for you. Ready? Come on, wake up, wake up, here we go. I sometimes have leaves, but I'm not a tree. It's good, but no. <laughs> it's true, but wrong. What else? Sometimes I have leaves, but I'm not a tree. I'm a... <laughs> Just keep saying bush. <laughs> no. Book? No. Close. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> table. A table. And you're too, like, who, like, sometimes tables have leaves. These things that you insert. That was a bad one. Whatever. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, I have legs, but walk not, a strong back, but work not, two good arms, but reach not, a seat, but sit not. An armchair, armchair, very good, very good, okay. Okay, how about this one? What's the least number of chairs you would need around a table to sit four fathers, two grandfathers, and four sons? Oh my God. Wait, did you really figure that out in your head? <laughs> yes, it's four. Can you all make it? Okay, listen to this again. What's the, least, what's the least number of chairs you would need around a table to sit? Four fathers, two grandfathers, and four sons. It is four because they could all be what? They're all, they are all sons. All these guys are sons, and they could also all be, got to have Four chairs for four grandfathers, two fathers. They could all be grandfathers because that would also make them fathers and that would also make them sons. Okay, four. Okay, where can everyone sit except you? Kids. Okay, did, did, the, did the kids over here hear that? What, what, is, what can everyone, where, where can everyone sit except you? You're a little... Look over at Juzy. Where can Juzy not sit that someone else is sitting? On her lap. On her lap. Okay, last one. How do you leave someone on the edge of their seat? But no, I want to leave them on the edge of their seat. Scare them, push them. <laughs> How do you leave someone on the edge of their seat? I'll tell you tomorrow. That was lame. That was a joke. That was a dad joke. That wasn't even a riddle. Okay. 
Here's what it's all at. So we're talking about tables and chairs, having a seat at the table, all this stuff. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, how good do you have to be? Kids, serious question. How good do you have to be to earn your way into heaven? How good do you have to be to earn a seat at God's table in heaven? How good do you have to be? Annie Blake. Ooh, we have a believe in Jesus. Okay, I'm asking, that's good, but I'm asking how good do you have to be? And someone said something else. What, uh, Henry, did you say something? Spence. Nothing. As in, what Spence means is how good do you have to be? It means like you can't do it. You cannot be good enough because you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect to earn your way into heaven, okay? That's what the gospel says, y'all. The gospel says, uh, listen, there's this good news about Jesus. And you tell someone the good news about Jesus, and it can sound, y'all, the gospel can sound like an insult. Because what you're telling someone is, hey, you're not good enough to get to heaven. That is what the gospel says. The gospel says you are not good enough to get into heaven. But is that all the gospel says, kids? What else does it say? Yes, that is awesome. We had, it tells you that Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he went to the cross for your sins to get you a seat at the table in heaven. That is the good news of the gospel. The gospel says you're not good enough, but Jesus is good enough for you to get you where you want to go. Kids, Please hear me when I say this. You are not perfect. You are not perfect. And I know like the sports we put you in and the extracurricular you know, stuff we put you in and your school and all the homework you have to do, it feels like, kids, I know for you it feels like I have to be perfect. Kids, you are not perfect. You are going to make mistakes. And you know who knows that? I know that. Your pastor knows that you are going to make mistakes, big mistakes. You know who else knows that? Your parents. Your parents know that you are not perfect. You know who else knows that? God. That's why he sent Jesus for you. Jesus knows that you are not perfect. Jesus knows that you are going to make huge mistakes, and he loves you so much that he came to take care of your mistakes, to die for your mistakes. Y'all, sometimes you are going to get mad at God because you think you deserve more than what you have from God. And sometimes you're going to get mad at yourself because you think you're not good enough for Jesus. And you're going to think, God can't love me. I'm such a bad person. Let me ask you this. Kids, is, this, is it okay to think big of your sin, to think your sin is really big? Is that okay to think? Henry says yes, and he is right. It is okay to think your sin is really big. Is it okay to think your sin is bigger than Jesus? You think about that one. Is it okay to think your sin is bigger than Jesus? No. Never. Jesus is bigger than your sin. So last question. How bad do you have to be for God to stop loving you? How bad do you have to be for God to stop forgiving you of your sins? Can you ever be that bad? No. Never. You are never so bad 
that Jesus cannot forgive you. Does that make you want, now hearing that, does that like, oh yeah, let me go be bad. Does that make you want to be bad? Or then knowing how much Jesus loves you and how he died for you, does that make you love Jesus more? If you think on it, it makes you love Jesus more. That's the good news of the gospel. You're not perfect. Jesus is perfect for you. And he does get you a seat at that table in heaven. All you have to do is believe in him. That's what we're going to talk about today. We are in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're making our way through it this fall. Uh, it's normally assumed that the Gospels are all organized linearly, like in a chronological fashion, like a continuous storyline. And there is that basic chronology of, you know, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and there is a lot of chronology within there. But there's also, with each gospel, there's an artistic pattern to each one that gets you to the same gospel message. We're going through Mark, and we're doing it according to his storytelling technique. Uh, and what Mark does is uh, he certainly, you know, from beginning to end, he highlights, you know, the famous kind of unique events about Jesus' life. You just think of things like transfiguration, triumphal entry, Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that kind of stuff. Uh, Mark also shares typical, ordinary events in Jesus' ministry. This is where we are. When you get to Mark, we're in Mark chapter 6 through 8, this next section. You look at this, it is a, it's like a, a week in the life of Jesus, it, these are clips of typical events in Jesus' life. It's, it's like a docudrama, you know, with these, these uh, snatches of, of speeches and, and conversations, close-ups, crowd scenes, one-on-one -on -one encounters. And the goal of all of it, the goal, Mark's goal here, is for you to get to know Jesus as completely as possible. So when you hear this stuff, you think, like, that's so Jesus. That's, that's so something Jesus would say. Or that's so something Jesus would do. Like, to get you to the point where you're like, Typical Jesus. Uh, that's, that's where Mark is taking us. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. <clears throat> and from there Jesus arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So in, um, in Mark 6, a week in the life of, of Jesus, it starts, this section starts with Jesus getting run out of his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, he's kicked out by his childhood friends, his family friends, his synagogue friends and neighbors. That's, that's how the week kicks off. Uh, then he hears the news that Herod, the Jewish king, who's actually a puppet, uh, set up, you know, he's a puppet king of the Roman state, he hears that he has murdered John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, who is actually the last Old Testament prophet, that he's murdered him, but he's murdered him truly in rejection of Jesus. So just another day in the life of Jesus, getting rejected by his own government. And over and over in this week's snapshot, he's got the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, are following Jesus around, constantly arguing with him, criticizing him, only listening to enough to twist his words, challenging him, plotting against him. And Jesus has to sit there and he just listens to their total perversion of the Jewish faith. Uh, And through all of that, Jesus, you know, just going along the week, normal week, Jesus is on the road taking care of crowds and crowds of people everywhere he goes, healing their sick, teaching them, counseling them, morning and night, uh, sleep, many sleepless nights. And on top of that, he's also training up his own disciples who are constantly confused by what he says, who are constantly contradicting what he says, who are constantly scared of Jesus because they're not getting it. A week in the life of Jesus. It's exhausting. So here in Mark 7, you see Jesus do something that he typically does when he's exhausted. He gets away. He goes where he knows uh, he won't be followed by the Jewish crowds. He He goes where he knows he's not going to be followed by the Jewish religious leaders. He goes to Gentile country. And he takes his disciples because they obviously need a break too. So he goes to Tyre and Sidon to rest. And this is like to really rest. No ministry. No work. Like, like one of those, uh, like, I, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk to anyone kind of weekend getaways kind of thing. Uh, that's what he's doing. Uh, and, and, of course, typical, someone recognizes Jesus and spreads the word that Jesus is in the neighborhood which means that the word of this Jew, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth, has spread even to the surrounding Gentile country. And this woman who has a little girl, who's demon-possessed, hears that Jesus is in town, and she rushes to him. It says that she's a Syrophoenician, which means she's as Gentile as it gets. Uh, She's a Canaanite, but she's obviously heard that this Jesus is a miracle worker. He's a healer. He's an exorcist of demons. So she finds him, and she begs him to help her. And we have not heard anything like this from Jesus before. He's healing everyone who asks. He's already, he's already been casting out demons. Uh, he has shown concern for little children already. And we've seen his compassion extend to even to people who don't believe in him. And this woman, she's not just asking, this Gentile woman, she's begging and that word begging me, it's, it's, repeat, it's a repeated thing. She's begging over and over and over for Jesus to help. She's not even asking uh, for something for herself. She's begging Jesus to heal her little girl who's being tortured by a demon. And this woman actually believes in Jesus. And Jesus ignores her. Not once, not twice, over and over He's ignoring her over and over. Then when he finally addresses her, he insults her. And Jesus does not ignore or downplay or belittle the suffering of his people. So, how is this a typical Jesus story? 
This seems like such a contrast to what, really what we heard about last time, uh, where he healed, an unclean, he healed an unclean woman who didn't ask, who didn't bother him. She just touched his cloak. And then Jesus like, stopped in the middle of his emergency uh, to take some time to talk to this woman. And then he hurried on uh, to the home of one of his enemies, a synagogue ruler, to go raise his little girl from the dead. So why not this woman and this little girl? This woman is not going away, so Jesus finally talks to her, begging, please, please, please cast this demon out of my little girl, insult. Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Typical Jesus. All right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, if you're wandering around the ancient Near East, we've said this before, if you're wandering around the ancient Near East, uh, Judea, or, as it appears, surrounding Gentile country, and you had heard of this Jesus in the first century, you would know two things. At the very least, you would know two things about this Jesus. You would know he works miracles. He even casts out demons. And you would know he tells parables. Well, he does the miracle and casts the demon out of the little girl. He does end up doing that. And typical Jesus, before healing this little girl and casting out the demon, he responds to this woman with a parable. Typical Jesus. And remember, we have said that parables, we have said this, that parables have the effect of either pushing you away because you don't care what Jesus is saying or because you don't like what Jesus is saying. Or the parable draws you in to come to Jesus to find out exactly what he's saying because you want Jesus. He says, let the, little ch- let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The parable is imagery of table fellowship, gathering around a meal. Who gets, who gets a seat at the table? Who gets a seat at the dinner table? Now, I, listen, I know not everyone here likes steak, okay? But for my uh, son's birthday last week, I made steak, and, and I, I made uh, just the worst steaks that have ever been made. They were totally inedible, uh, evidenced by everyone's plate at the end of the dinner. Uh, I mean, the kind where you're like, give it to the dogs. In fact, that is what someone said at the end of the dinner, is I was like scraping off like all this stuff. Uh, they said, oh, wait, maybe give some to the dogs. <laughs> like, okay, but for another birthday, I did it right. Big extended family too, lots of steaks, and I nailed it from the prep to the cook to, to the rest. Uh, and, and what we did was, you know, we're sitting just moments away from enjoying this awesome birthday dinner. Uh, we turn uh, to look, uh, set, finish setting the table, and in that moment, I won't name other people's dogs' names, but this dog got up on the counter and got those steaks. And we didn't, like, we didn't watch and laugh like, <laughs> oh, well, those three are hers. No, we didn't, we were, like, we yelled bloody murder. No, Sadie, no. Sorry, there's a dog's name. No. Um, <laughs> bad girl. You know, because you do, you do not put a dog at the table and feed it your little child's dinner. They can have the leftovers when the meal is done if you're feeling gracious. In his parable, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, talking to a Gentile, raises the point 
Who gets a seat at God's table? Who is a member of God's family? And you have to remember, at this point in time, when Jesus is saying this, God is in covenant with the nation Israel. All that old, all that old Testament stuff. When God made, and this is really important, when God made, I mean, here's the real clue to the, the parable here, when God made his covenant with Israel, Think about this, Moses, Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, which are a summary of the covenant, okay? And he reads them, and Israel is there at the foot of the mountain, and they swear an oath. They swear an oath that they accept. Yes, we accept. We will do all that the Lord commands. And then they do a bunch of sacrifices, and all of that, the swearing of an oath, those sacrifices, it ratifies God's covenant with Israel, it's for real. Here we go. Everybody's in. And then on the mountain, in God's presence, there is a communion meal to celebrate and to seal that Israel was in covenant with God, that Israel got a seat at God's table. Okay, typical Jesus. It's not just what he says that is the parable that's parabolic. It's what he's doing when he says it. It's also how he says it. Jesus' act of ignoring this Gentile woman and what he says to her, it's all the parable. She's not part of the covenant community of God's people. She does not have a seat at the table. Remember, remember the possible reaction to Jesus' parable. Walk away not caring or walk away uh, uh, angry and insulted. She could have done that. I mean, she could have said, wait, you come into my town, my Gentile town, you Jewish man, and you insult me? What, am I a dog? But she doesn't. She's not going, she's not going anywhere because she gets it, and she's good with it. She's good with the insult because it's really the insult of the gospel. This Gentile woman, she gets the parabolic insult of what all the Old Testament is and what Jesus fulfills and what Jesus is doing now. And she gets it even better than the disciples do at this point. The disciples think that they're all good because they're Jews with their Jewish Messiah. This Gentile woman gets that it's all of grace, that no one is deserving. Just because you're a Jew and you get the privilege of hearing the gospel first, that does not mean you're saved. Just because you're a Jew does not mean you're saved. You do have to believe in this God. You do have to believe in this Jesus. You do have to believe in this gospel. And this gospel says that you're not good enough to earn a seat at God's table. This is why, you know, this is why the gospel is offensive. This is, this, you know, here's a Gentile woman. Most of us here are Gentiles. Uh, but, you know, for those with Jewish background, this is for you too, because uh, here are the disciples. They need to get this. This is why the gospel is offensive. This is why people say the, the big problem with Christianity is it's, a, it's just a shaming religion. It makes people have low self-esteem, low self-image. You sit around in circles. You take turns talking about how bad you are all the time. Christians are perfectionists who need serious therapy. Some of that's true. Um, the so what for us, like the so what for us is is this thing of like do when we go to God do we appeal to grace or to our merit? As in you know every individual here think on are you mad at God because you believe He owes you something? 
something good that you don't have? Does God owe you something because you've been good, because you've been faithful, because you've been the right kind of person, because you've worked so hard? In a place like this, in a city like this, nobody likes charity. We do, we, and I really am talking, we here do not like asking for help. We, we, we don't like asking for prayer. I'm guilty of this. And it's because that thing of, well, I'm not weak. And I don't need anything from anyone. And I'll, I'm, fi- I'm fine, don't worry about me. I'll make my, own, my way on my own. The woman here, though, does not appeal to Jesus on the basis of anything she feels like she deserves. She's just, she's just confessed to him, I don't deserve anything good from you. She appeals to his grace. I'll take the scraps. Anything you have left over. But, but Jesus doesn't just challenge our pride here. He also challenges our self-loathing. He challenges our self-disgust. He challenges our self-hatred. As in, think on this too. Ask yourself this too. Each individual here, like, don't you worry that God is getting sick of your sin? Like, don't you worry that God is getting sick of you? All the same old struggles over and over. All, yeah, okay, all your confessions. And worry that one day he's just going to stop listening to you and stop forgiving you. If he, you know, if he hasn't already. At the same time that, that we say, I'm mad at God for not giving me the good that I deserve. We, we also say like, yeah, and uh, really, how could God ever love me? I am so messed up, and I am such a sinner. How could God really, like really, how could he love me? I don't love me. I hate me. I'm the worst. I feel like I'm a stain. Uh, I'd like to not be here anymore. When we say those things, we make much of our sin, which is right. But if that's all you say, then we make little of our Savior. You can reject Jesus by saying you don't need him. You can also reject Jesus by saying that you're not good enough for him. And the truth of the gospel is that God has more grace for you than you have sin. The truth is God's grace is abundant. It is overflowing. It is limitless. Please hear me say that. You've got to believe this. It is limitless for you. In the Old Covenant, here's the context. You know, Jesus is, you know, he's in Israel. In the Old Covenant, Israel got a seat at the table with God because they swore an oath to obey God's commandments. So they got a, a seat at the table. But their seat at the table was not, it was not a seat at the table in heaven. That's not what the covenant with Israel is about. The Old Covenant with the nation Israel was about that nation getting the land of Canaan for their earthly kingdom, which is, yes, it's a picture of earning a seat in heaven, okay? But it's just a picture of earning that seat in heaven. And the picture is supposed to tell you, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own obedience. And of course, Israel got kicked out of the land because they were so disobedient, because they broke their oath over and over and over and over. They lost their seat at the table. And yes, here's all this history. Uh, And yes, they are brought out of Babylon 
out of captivity back to Israel, but that's all out of God's grace, and it's for a very specific purpose. It's to set the stage. It's to really, I think this is an appropriate metaphor, it is to set the table. It is to set the table for Jesus' arrival because Jesus is going to be born of the Jews. Jesus is going to be born of Israel, and Jesus is going to do what Israel had failed to do, and he is going to keep God's commandments. Jesus came to fulfill all that that old covenant was pointing to between God and Israel, and then he is going to make a new covenant with his people. There, it, it, all of this is to say, when Jesus says, I, you know, I didn't come here first for you, there is an unfolding to the history of redemption. As Jesus says to another Gentile woman at a well, salvation is from the Jews because it's from Jesus. But it's not just for the Jews. We know this at his resurrection, Jesus will send out his apostles who will finally get it, who will finally be ready to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here's the like, do you know, do you know what ratifies the new covenant between God and his new covenant people? It's not the people swearing an oath that they're going to obey, that they're going to keep all of God's commandments. It is not the sacrificing of a bunch of animals. The new covenant is ratified with Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. But unlike the old covenant, the new covenant, let me say that really carefully, sorry, like the old covenant, like the old covenant, the new covenant is also sealed and celebrated with a communion meal. That the church is in covenant with God, but Jesus does not summon the church to earn a seat at the table in the kingdom of heaven by obedience. They don't get it by meeting all the demands of the new covenant. We get a seat at the table in heaven because Jesus, because Jesus, because Jesus, because Jesus through his obedient life and his sacrificial death that has earned salvation for us, that has secured us a seat at his eternal uh, uh, table of glory. How much of that does this Gentile woman understand? We don't know. She can't, she can't be exactly certain how Jesus is going to save, but she does believe that he's the Savior. She believes he's the Savior of his people, and she wants to be one of those people. So she humbly and patiently waits for what she knows. What Je she, she is, you can tell she's so ready because she knows what Jesus is going to say. She knows what's coming. She knows she's an unclean Gentile, that her Gentile people and the Jews have been at war for a long, long time, that they hate each other, that they believe totally different things, that Jesus has come for his people. And she's anticipating that he's going to say all of that to her, but she believes in him too. She will take the insult of the parable, the scraps of Jesus' time and his words, because she believes with all of her heart the gospel of grace that is so bold as to say that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. She believes that his grace and mercy is sufficient for someone as undeserving as her. She, so she boldly confesses her confidence that the grace that Jesus has has to give is more than sufficient to meet the needs of faithful Israel and spill over to meet the needs of the Gentiles who believe too. So yeah, this woman interrupts Jesus in his weekend getaway. 
where he just wanted to rest. But she has got to be so refreshing to him because she gets it. And he says that she gets it, and he tells her as a sign of her salvation, her daughter is healed. And loved ones, like all the miracles, like all the miracles are, they are a promise that with Jesus, heaven is coming. And because of Jesus, we'll be there with him. We do have a seat at the table. Typical Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Your grace that overflows to us, people here in in the year 2022, uh, on, on the other side of the world from where Jesus was doing his ministry, that the gospel has reached even us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it is extended to a people, every individual here, uh, though we do not deserve it, though we have done everything to not earn it, but turn the opposite of it. And thank you for Jesus Christ, who has taken what we deserve so that we can have what he deserves. We thank you that he has opened the way to your heavenly kingdom. We thank you that he is with us right now, watching over us, ensuring that we will get there all the way. We praise our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.